You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. What I want to talk about today is, um, is what it means to be a religious person, at least from the Torah's perspective. What it means to be a religious person, at least from the Torah's perspective. Because our Torah portion this week uh, uh, is, is almost literally the middle of the Torah. We actually have the middle point of the Torah in, uh, in, by the count of verses at least, uh, um, about halfway through our Torah portion. Uh, if you take the Torah and lay it out end to end, Parshat Sab will basically be right in the middle of that Torah scroll. Uh, Leviticus, broadly speaking, is right in the middle of the Torah, right? Five books, so it's the third book. It's right there in, in the middle. Uh, and so many commentators talk about how uh, Leviticus in general, and Sav perhaps in particular, is the heart of the Torah, is the, is the essence of what the Torah is teaching us about what it means to be a Jew, to live a Jewish life, to live a religious life. Uh, and there are many uh, verses and ideas and values one could point to within Leviticus that one could make an argument about this is the essence and this is the core of what the Torah is teaching us it, uh, is to be a Jewish person. So in a few weeks, uh, we'll read uh, Parshat Kedoshim. And Parshat Kedoshim, uh, first of all, famously begins with the verse, Kedoshim tiyu ki kadosh you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And many people say, that's the essence of uh, what it means to be Jewish. That's the essence of the Torah. That uh, verse, that commandment, encapsulates it all. And some people say it's actually a few verses later in Parsha Kedoshim, where, uh, where it says, uh, kamocha ani Adonai. You should love your fellow as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right? Rabbi Akiva says, Zoklal uh, Gadol Batorah. That's the great principle of the Torah. Uh, and, and indeed, I think that is a great principle of the Torah. Maybe the great principle of the Torah. Maybe that is the heart and soul of what it means um, to be Jewish, uh, or at least the heart and soul of Jewish ethics. Uh, and so we could talk about that in particular. But if our Torah portion is the center of the Torah, that means that there might be something within our Torah portion itself that represents the heart or the soul of what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be a religious person. And indeed, I think there is. So, uh, if you still had your chumashim, that's okay, it's all good. Um, you, uh, I, would do, I would invite you to look uh, at the first few verses of the Torah portion this week, but I'll read them to you. It starts like this, V'yidaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor uh, God spoke to Moses saying, Tsav et Aharon vet Banav Lemor, command Aaron and his sons saying, Zot Torata Ola, Hiha Ola al Mokda al Amizbeach, Kol Halayla, Ad Haboker, Veish Hamizbeach, Tukad Bo. This is the ritual of the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain where it is burned upon the altar all night until morning, while the fire on the altar is kept going on it. The priest shall dress in linen clothing with linen breeches next to his body. Love a holy book that talks about holy underwear. Um, And 
and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the, so- on the altar and place them beside the altar. He shall take off his clothing and put on other clothing and carry the ashes outside the camp to a pure place. Now, as I understand it, Chazan Marion spent some time talking about that part of our parsha last night. That's not what I want to focus on today. We'll focus on the, uh, the, 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 I mean, if you don't count the first verse, which is the introductory verse, the second verse, Sav et Aronovanav. Um, about the Ola, about the burnt offering, and in particular about the fire of the altar that's supposed to be kept going to keep continually burn that burnt offering, because here we have a repetition of that same idea in verse 5. So we have that in verse 2, now verse 5. The ha'esh al ha'mizbeach tukadbo lo tichbeh uveer ha'lea kohen etzim baboker baboker va'arach alea ola v'iktir alea chelvei ha'shlamim. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning, not to go out. Every morning, the priest shall feed wood on it, lay out the burnt offering on it, and turn into smoke the fat parts of the offering of well-being. A perpetual fire shall be kept burning on the altar, not to go out. So in the span of the opening paragraph of our Torah portion, we have not one, not two, but three verses. Each of them reiterating this idea that on the altar, the central ritual object of the central ritual space, of the center of the community. So in a physical sense, the heart of Jewish communal and religious life is this altar. And what we hear, not once, not twice, but three times, is that the fire on the altar is to be kept going, kept burning perpetually. It's never to go out. Right. So we represent that in our uh, in our synagogues by a ner tamid, by an eternal light that never goes out. Right, which of course, as Helen reminds us time and again, uh, at least in part symbolizes the eternality of the Jewish people, the eternality of our relationship with God forever and ever. It's a beautiful and important symbol. That's not necessarily the symbolism that I'm going to talk about today, but that's a beautiful interpretation of what that symbol means. That it's always going, that relationship is always there, that our people will always in, will, will, will ever endure. Beautiful. But if you think about the nature of a, of a perpetual fire, it struck me that a perpetual fire needs two things to continue to burn at all times. The Torah portion itself mentions one of them, but it actually requires another. So it mentions that the priest should uver aleha koen etzim. The priest shall put wood on it in the morning and in the evening to make sure that it continues burning. Right? So a fire, in order to continue burning, needs wood, needs material, needs fuel to continue burning. Otherwise, it will expire. It will go out. Right? Anybody who's ever been camping or had a fireplace uh, that's not gas, well, I mean, gas one still proves the point because if you run out of gas, the fire is going to go out. Right? So a fire, in order to keep burning, needs material, needs fuel. But the other thing a fire needs to continually burn is oxygen, is air, right? If you could imagine uh, a, a, a whole bunch of wood and a spark in a totally oxygenless space, what will happen? 
Nothing. You would have no flame. Which is why whenever you see a, a movie that's set in space and there happens to be fire in space, you can know that they didn't do their scientific homework to figure out that fires can't happen in space. Explosions can't happen in space, right? Or uh, explosions can, but the fire won't perpetuate, right? Because fire needs oxygen in, in order, it needs air. So an eternal flame therefore needs two things. It needs fuel and it needs air. There are a couple of different ways that I was thinking about what the significance of that is if we're looking at this commandment and this Torah portion as in some way representing the heart and the soul of what it means uh, to live a Jewish religious life. And there are two things that are going to sound opposite of each other, but I actually think that they're essentially complementary. First is, what do those two things symbolize? Good. So, think for a moment about the fuel, about the etzim, the wood that is required to keep a fire burning, as Torah. We say, after all, etz chaim hi lemachazikim ba. That Torah is a tree of life to those who hold fast to it. In order to live a religious life, in order to live a spiritual life, in order to make most of the of, of what God continually holds out for us in terms of our potential and relationship and our capacity in terms of purpose, what it requires is constant replenishment of the essential fuel of that relationship, which for us is Torah, which for us is religious learning, which is why it is, I think, one of the great tragedies of contemporary Judaism that most people's Jewish education ends when they turn 13. Because how can that fire continue to exist? How can that fire continue to burn if you've stopped feeding it when you turn 13 years old? It's impossible. It can't. It can't continue to burn if you stop feeding it when you're 20 years old. It can't continue burning if you stop feeding it when you're 50 years old. It can't continue burning if you stop feeding it when you're 80 years old. The life of being Jewish is about perpetually replenishing that fire, and replenishing that fire means continually learning Torah, continually engaging in study, continually encountering the sacred texts and traditions of our people in order to deepen and further our understanding of what God is offering us and calling us to do in each given moment, that's the fuel. And unless we perpetually replenish it, the fire will go out. But we don't only need fuel, we need oxygen. So if the fuel is Torah, then oxygen is the outside world. Right? We, we need our own learning, our own traditions, our own sacred texts to perpetuate the fire. But unless we encounter air, unless we encounter the outside, the fire will also go out. Which is why Torah itself is not enough. Torah has to be paired and partnered with encountering and learning about and living in the outside world. That's why the Mishnah says, Yafer Torah in derach Eretz. That Torah is only good if it's paired with worldly engagement. It is not beneficial to spiritual life to immerse oneself exclusively in the study of Torah. Because Torah is a document to be lived in the real world. 
to be interpreted in real life, to fashion real communities, to engage the real questions and real struggles and real problems that each of us has in any given moment. And so unless we actually engage in the outside world, unless we actually encounter non-Jewish wisdom, unless we actually see how life is lived and how uh, rules and principles and values impact the lives of real people, unless we study and take seriously science, both the natural sciences and the social science, unless we encounter all of those things, the fire of Torah can't continue to burn. It requires both Torah and engagement with the outside. Or if you want, you can think about it the opposite way, but I think it's actually the same thing. You can think about the air, the oxygen, as spirituality. In order for the fire of religious passion and religious life to continue burning, we need to yearn, we need to connect to that which transcends and pervades our limited experience, that which you can't touch and feel and smell or buy. And so much of our lives is devoted to the material and the mundane. We live, most of us, I think, in the, very much firmly in this world. And so what the idea of the eternal flame, I think, might be offering us is that's not enough. We need, without air, we can't survive. Without God, we wither and flame out. Without transcending and, and devoting ourselves to experiences of the Spirit, pursuing spiritual pursuits, worship, worship, exactly, worship, whether it's worship, whether it's meditation, whether it's Torah study, uh, whether it's uh, in, involvement in, uh, in, 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 in acts of chesed and acts of love, whether it's, uh, whether it's chanting, whatever it is that provides you an opportunity to actually have a spiritual encounter unless we devote time and effort perpetually to pursuing that, the fire goes out. But, and here's something you don't often hear in religious sermons, which is that you could think about the, if the air is spirit, then you also need the material. You also need worldliness. You also need to engage in business, to engage in real life, to engage in real human interactions, to busy yourself not only in sitting on top of a mountain and meditating in solitude, but actually being involved in the lives of the people around you, to learning about what, they, what their needs are, what your own needs are, what your own physical needs are. Mishnah says, Ein kemach ein Torah. If we don't have flour, if we don't have food, if we don't have, uh, if we don't have um, uh, uh, compensation, then we can't live lives of Torah. We need both materiality and spirituality and marry together perpetually in order to have a religious life. It's not a choice of one or the other. If we only have one and not the other, the fire goes out. And so you can look at the metaphor either way. Either the wood is Torah and the air is the outside world, or the wood is the outside world and the air is Torah and spirituality, but either way, the message is the same. 
then unless we have both of those things and marry them together, perpetually pursue them in tandem, Torah, spirituality, worldliness, and worldly knowledge, unless we have both of those things, the fire goes out. That, to me, is powerful wisdom in a lot of areas. Not the least of which is to both extremes within the Jewish community and within the world that either say, I want to be spiritual but not religious. Or I want to be spiritual and reject materiality. Which, ha- which exists even within the Jewish community and one can find plenty of examples of Jews who reject the material world, reject the secular world, and engage exclusively in matters of Torah. What our, what our Parsha says, I think, is that they've missed the mark and that fire is destined to go out. And on the other side, people who say, I don't need any of that religion garbage, I don't need any of that spirituality, on a fundamental human level, it's not true. It's ignoring a need that every one of us has deep down. And unless materiality is paired with spirituality, it, be, it can lead to atrocity. And it's also, I think, moving from the realm of the personal and the spiritual to the realm of world affairs, I think that, uh, uh, as I reflect on this Parsha, I think that um, it's actually, maybe ironically, um, what we saw in Brussels and what we saw in Paris a month ago and what we uh, see with, uh, with, with jihadi extremism throughout the world and other forms of extremism throughout the world. I think that actually what we're witnessing, even though it's brutal and painful and I don't seek to minimize the reality of its brutality in any way, shape, or form, it's evil that must be confronted and stopped. However... I do think it represents the last gasps of a fire that's destined to go out. Because what those attacks represent is a pursuit of religious life, a pursuit of spirituality that is utterly divorced from materiality. That's utterly divorced from worldliness. That's utterly divorced to the real life and real world implications and applications of those religious ideals and those religious principles. Or you can think about it the other way. Which is that it is totally material or layered with a veneer of religiosity to give it its credibility and its language but ultimately totally material in the pursuit of worldly power and worldly attainment. And in that sense, it is also destined to flame out. It's destined to expire. And what our tradition holds out for us, the value that we hold fast in the face of that atrocity, in the face of that brutality, is to remember that to keep the fire going, to flame ourselves, building the community and ultimately the world that the Torah envisions for us to create, we need to hold fast and hold strong to simultaneously to both of those ideals. To be simultaneously involved in matters of the spirit and involved in matters of the world. To never let go of both of those, of both of those necessities and of both of those realities. And if we do, 
I have faith that the world will be repaired under the sovereignty of God. Because as our Haftorah says, as it concludes, Lo ko amar Adonai, thus says God, Al yitalel chachman bechokmato. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Only in this should one glory in earnest devotion to me. For I, the Lord, act with kindness, justice, and equity in the world, and in these I delight, declares the, work, declares the Lord. Pursuit exclusively of secular wisdom, materiality, and riches on one hand, or exclusively of ethereal spiritual attainment on the other hand, is not the path of God. The path of God is the marriage of both of those things which inevitably can, will manifest as the pursuit of kindness, justice, and equity. And in those, God delights. Let's go forth and sow that compassion, live lives that keep the fire burning, and prove the delight of the Lord. <laughs>